Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We hope you are safe and well. Here's what we'll be talking about today. Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association will be with us to talk about the closing of processing plants and also the expanded investigation into the cattle market. Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates, will be with us to talk about the economic impact on the pork industry of pork plants closing down and jim bear president and ceo of the u.s apple association will talk about uh, their request for assistance during covid19 so lots of ground to cover today we'll start things off with todd neely with dtn todd thanks for joining us here we are april 14th i was thinking about this while ago it's been a long year already it really has you know it's uh Usually this time of the year, we're, we're talking about all kinds of things, uh, you know, planting and, uh, you know, as we saw at the beginning of the year with some of the changes in, in trade uh, trade deals and all that sort of thing. You know, we were uh, looking at a very interesting year and a very hopeful year for agriculture. And now we're at a point where uh, something's going to have to give in this economy. I mean, we're seeing all segments of ethanol, not, you know, not just the ag economy, but the entire economy. Uh, but in particular, ag's getting hit hard again. You know, we see ethanol plants closing down. Uh, we see packing plants in trouble. We see a lot of a lot of issues going on, you know, and, and not the least of which is we're still talking about potential flooding here in the Missouri River Basin. So there's a lot of things that, um, you know, to start the year, we already had a lot of a lot of big ticket issues on the plate, but now it's uh, things that just kind of stopped. Well, let's talk about the uh, the packing plants that are starting to close down. This is this was a concern early on. What would happen if workers in these plants uh, came down with the virus? And now we're starting to see it, and we're seeing the impact, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, you know some of the bigger plants. You know, Smithfield up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, they employ anywhere from three thirty five hundred to thirty seven hundred employees up there. Uh, you know, and it's one of the bigger plants in the country, um, you know, and the CEO of the plant had come out with a statement after they decided to uh, to actually close that plant down indefinitely, saying that, um, you know, there's going to be a real problem when it comes to food supply at some point. Um, I don't think we're there yet, but it definitely, uh, it definitely raises the bar uh, for a lot of these companies to find ways of protecting workers. You know, a lot of a lot of companies have put uh, put some some practices in place that they thought would would help, uh, you know, including Smithfield, and and it hasn't really panned out that way. Uh, we're seeing multiples of people coming down with the virus, and uh, you know, it's it's really unfortunate because obviously we need to keep that food supply open. We need to keep uh, you know the grocery store shelves stocked and and all the things that we need during this crisis and pretty much any time of the year. And the other aspects of that, loss of jobs, another hit on the economy, and, of course, for livestock producers, you know, where do you take your animals? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, for instance, the Smithfield plant, it, it, uh, it has more than 500 producers uh, that provide supply to the, to the pork plant, and uh, it really does. It really makes you think that, uh, you know, at some point here we're going to have to either find new market channels for a lot of these products that aren't going to these plants, 
uh, or find a way to get these plants back, you know, back open. And I, and I don't know how that happens at this point. You know, in some of the some of the areas of the country now where we're seeing the plants shut down, we're seeing, uh, you know, increased numbers of cases. And so I think uh, while the East Coast and the West Coast has seen the brunt of this, I think uh, we're starting to see the Midwest, uh, you know, pick up in the number of cases. And clearly, you know, with all the pork plants, beef plants, all these things that we have in the Midwest uh, located here, um, the food supply becomes uh, kind of a new issue that I think the administration is going to have to figure out. Yeah, and talk about figuring out. USDA trying to figure out how they're going to allocate the funds they have with all these requests from different sectors of agriculture coming in saying, we need help. Yeah, Mike, and you know, to a a segment of the industry, there's not a segment of this industry that's not hurting right now. And so it is a really difficult uh, decision for USDA to have to make. I mean, every industry, pork, ethanol, beef, you name it, uh, they're coming to the administration saying, hey, if we don't get help, uh, things are going to look extremely bleak. And uh, I I don't know how that gets resolved. You know, perhaps at some point uh, the administration is going to have to put more money into the ag side of things because I think there's a whole segment, a number of segments of the industry that are going to need some sort of, I don't know if you want to call it a bailout, but they're going to need some some, uh, financial support. Uh, along the way, and I don't know that the $14 billion or whatever the amount is is going to be enough, honestly. Yeah, we're talking huge numbers here on the amount of money that's being poured out into this, and it's not enough, and it's at best it, it maybe gets you by as kind of a Band-Aid. If, if the economy doesn't start back up soon, I mean, you, the government... Well, uh, you don't know how can they how much longer can they just keep writing checks? I mean, at some point, it uh, right. you start you stack up a debt that's well, we already went into this with a huge debt, and then you add to this. I mean, at some point, something has to turn around, or the whole thing breaks down. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I I think that um, you know while there's still there's still a little bit of glimmer of hope when you look at China, and you know we've seen some recent spikes in the number the amount of commodities that they're buying from the United States. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't address some of the other supply chain problems because of the virus. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go into getting the product uh, to the market. And so, yeah, we definitely need uh, some certainty on the economy. I think the administration is moving towards making some sort of announcement here in a few days, potentially. Uh, but then it's going to be up to the states, you know, whether they decide that they want to go along with it and, and open up for business Um uh, I think in the Midwest, it's kind of a sticky situation right now because, you know, we're seeing a number of cases increasing and in some places. And, uh, you know, as we talked about, packing plants shutting down. And so there's a lot of things that um, have to be resolved. Then the last thing we needed, but we're getting into it now, <laughs> political turf wars about who has power and who who gets to decide what. And uh, understand there's some tough questions there, but... The last thing we need is a, a power struggle going on while in the, everybody's left in the lurch waiting for the the people, you know, in elected offices for them to fight out and duke it out about who's going to make what decisions. We need some kind of coordinated effort on this. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, I think, uh, you know, the president was speaking yesterday about that particular question about opening the economy. And uh, he continues to insist that he's uh, got a great relationship with all the governors and uh, he seemed to indicate, at least to some degree, that you know some of the states that can open back up because they don't have near the spread of the virus, uh, perhaps they're going to open up first. I'm, I'm really not sure at this point, but I think um, you just have to hope that what uh, the president says is true, that governors are kind of on board 
for a reopening at some point, and uh, it's going to be done in kind of a you know a systematic fashion and, and in a safe way. Yeah, we need our, our leaders to work together and uh, help help guide us through this. All right, Todd, stay safe. Thanks for being with us. All right, Mike, you too. Thank you. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We'll talk about that expanded investigation into the cattle market and his thoughts on the closing of uh, packing plants. That's next on AOA. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Mike. Lots to talk about. Uh, Let's talk about uh, plants shutting down and the impact on the beef industry. Uh, What's your assessment of where we're at now and the impact we're already feeling? Well, I, the, the, the impact is obvious. I mean, we're, we're seeing it in the markets. We're seeing our, our producers feel it in their pocketbooks. They, they've been, uh, uh, the, the, the brunt of this has been on their shoulders for, for the better part of a month plus now. Uh, you know, what we're seeing, I think, in the packing sector is, is these, these various operations trying to figure out how to keep the process moving while also insulating their employees. And it's, uh, they're, they're doing it with varying degrees of success. You know, we're, we're hearing about uh, plexiglass barriers being put in between each each uh, worker on the line. We're hearing about reconfiguring cafeteria space. We're hearing about adjustments to line speeds, uh, check-in processes. And what we've asked for the, the White House and USDA is that they find some ways to speed some of those rapid test kits uh, to these packing plants as well. It, basically, anything they can do uh, to, to ensure that, that that supply chain keeps moving and that they keep processing beef through the system uh, we know there are going to be slowdowns as they as they lose some employees and have to consolidate some shifts, and we're we're seeing that uh, already, as well as obviously uh, the JBS Greeley plant going down for a few weeks, and and uh, some of the other plants around the country that we're watching. But the hope is that they find that sweet spot uh, to to be able to continue operating at some speed as they get through this peak of of, uh, of employees beginning to get these this virus. Because of the relatively small number of plants we actually have when one closes down that has a pretty big impact it, it does it's tremendous and it's immediate and, and i mean you see it on the boards and, and you, you see it out in the country uh right away uh you know even the rumor of of something happening in these plants has has uh dealt another blow to an already uh, uh disastrous futures market over the last few weeks uh so as we see real impacts of these plants come online uh you know that that's that's obviously going to exacerbate that situation uh, beyond what it already was. Ethan, I know there are a lot of consumers that have questions about, well, if if there are workers at a packing plant that are sick, then what about the food, that, the meat that comes out of that plant? Is it safe? Uh, I, I know uh, 
we I've heard doctors and others in the medical field say it's safe. It's not going to be transmitted that way. The virus is not transmitted that way. But I know that's a concern. We have to continue to reassure people. We, we do. I mean, you know, on the consumer-facing side, they, they need to understand, first and foremost, there's no shortage of beef available to consumers. We have product. We have supply. There's no need to clean out the grocery store. You know, the last few trips I've made to my local grocery store, uh, you know, I, I buy beef from a local producer uh, out in the Shenandoah Valley, but I was at the grocery store yesterday, and they had a good selection there. Uh, so it's, it's available. It's safe. Uh, just like in any normal circumstance, you know, the, 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 the food safety uh, processes that are deployed in these, in these plants and are, and are even heightened at this point ensure that what gets packaged and sent to the, to the retail outlets is safer consumers uh, to enjoy with their families. And that, that first and foremost, uh, folks need to remember that uh, above all else. We're talking with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. All right, Ethan, let's look at the expanded investigation into the cattle market. Uh, a lot of concerns there. Why would the, with the demand and higher prices uh, that some are getting, why for beef, why aren't, ha, aren't those uh, prices being reflected for what the producer gets? So there, the investigation has been expanded by USDA. What can you tell us? Well, you know, that's a request that we had made verbally already to USDA that, you know, this, this dynamic that we're seeing, our producers being shortchanged on this, uh, in this market and, and, and watching that spread continue to grow, uh, uh, seemed like an obvious place for USDA to expand that ongoing investigation into the Holcomb fire from last year. You know, as we expressed to the White House in a letter last week, uh, we're disappointed that the, the Holcomb fire investigation has not already been completed, but uh, as long as it hasn't been, uh, we really want to see them expand that investigation. We were we were really pleased to hear within hours from Secretary Purdue that, in fact, that's exactly what they've done, uh, is, is expand that investigation to include uh, what we've seen in the last month and a half in the in the cattle markets. Uh, that's that's good news. That that is a, a that's a positive step. And, you know, as we understand it, I mean, they're they're coordinating uh, amongst uh, uh, the, the USDA team at Packers and Stockyards, as well as uh, as well as with DOJ, using their using their uh, various abilities uh, to ensure that they get access to all the information they need, and then they can take a complete look at this. You know, the thing we want to continue to stress, though, Mike, is we cannot wait another six months for this investigation to be completed. They've had months to work on this. They have additional data, obviously, to analyze with the, the COVID-19 market impacts, but they need to conclude this investigation and get the results out to the industry. You know, as we're having a larger conversation about how to fix these cattle markets, we have to have the results of that investigation in order to work from that and, and find a path forward. Well, I think that's a key point because, you, as you point out, this is an expansion of an investigation that was started last year, and we're still waiting right. for the results from that. And uh, and we you don't know that what the outcome of the investigation is going to be, but if it's found that there are uh, issues that need to be addressed and if producers have been shortchanged, uh, some of those producers could be out of business before we get any results from the investigation if it takes much longer. Well, and that's, that's really the, the, one of the most stressful parts of this situation for our producers is we're dealing with a global pandemic that's impacting every sector of the economy. You know, this is not obviously just limited to the cattle industry, but we're also dealing with an ongoing issue in our own market that we've been aware of and, and, and that this, this investigation has been looking into for months before this thing started. So, you know, we're triaging uh, immediate impacts on one hand and also looking at those long-term structural issues on the other. And uh, it's, it's something where we don't have a choice between one or the other. We're going to have to do both at the same time. 
All right, Ethan, so about every sector of agriculture is submitting recommendations or requests for assistance, for aid for their sector, uh, making requests of USDA. Obviously, there are limited dollars that they have to uh, use to allocate here, uh, so it's, these are tough decisions that USDA will have to make. Uh, give us a, a little more uh, detail, a look at what the, the beef industry is looking at here and what assistance you think would be most helpful for your industry. Well, obviously, our industry has been has been hit hard across multiple segments, uh, and, and we've made a request to USDA uh, signed by every one of our 45 state affiliates asking for the secretary to, to ensure that producers uh, in the cow-calf and stalker and, and feeder sectors of our industry are, are taken care of here um, and, and making that point that that needs to be equitable across all those segments. You know, I think everyone's on the same page about a few key issues here. We have to ensure that none of the funds that are coming out of this end up in the packing sector. Uh, you know, that, that's a concern that we've heard from our producers. That's a concern we've voiced to USDA, and that's something that they've uh, replied back to us that they agree uh, is, a, is a key objective to ensure that this money gets to the ground and gets to those producers that are really impacted. And, you know, we're also looking at a couple classes of producers. I mean, we have some, some folks that, that were in the market and selling as this thing uh, has melted down, and they have some, some actual losses, uh, immediate losses that, uh, over the past few weeks. And then we have segments that, that may be calving right now that are going impact, to see impact later this year. And, and you know, we want to make sure that we're balancing all of those and working through our state affiliates to ensure that we're communicating to USDA the fact that there's need across the supply chain, uh, uh, even if it comes at different points in the year or different points in the market cycle. They've got to be paying attention to all those different segments. And, and given the resources they've been provided here, that avenue is available. But you're right. To your point earlier, everybody and their brother is lining up for a check here. We're hearing from catfish. We're, we're even hearing about a, a horse group in upstate New York that's trying to make the claim that they're, uh, they need to be included in those livestock payments. Um, you know, when, when there's this kind of money available, uh, everybody kind of runs for the, for the entrance. And, and if, you know, in the cattle industry, we don't typically ask for this kind of money. It, it speaks to how... Uh, uh, how impactful the situation has been for our producers that were involved in this conversation. And we're dealing with a lot of other commodity groups that, that obviously are, are far more adept at, at uh, getting these payments out of the federal government. Um, so uh, we're hopeful that USDA recognizes that and, and uh, ensures that, that, that we get a, a healthy chunk of that money. So real quick, Ethan, are you asking for direct payments to cattle producers in? We are. All right. We, we so here, I mean, that's that's and, the that's the most obvious way to get it done. And here again, like with the investigation, I, I know USC's got a lot on its plate right now and tough decisions to make. But they say they're going to, you know, be speedy about this, uh, try to do as fast as possible. But the, again, each day counts, right? And they need to get it done as soon as possible. Make these choices. Each day counts, but and this is something that we keep hearing from both the Hill and USDA, and I think it's something that we need to keep in mind is, you know, between the stimulus package that was passed and, and now creating these programs, whether it's this PPP program that we've heard so much about on the SBA side uh, or, or others, you're talking about programs that typically would take years of debate in Congress uh, and, and a year or more to craft at the federal agency level, and instead we're doing it all in a couple of weeks. Um, and this is kind of a breakneck pace to do something this massive. So uh, it's going to take some time, but we know they're moving quickly, and we expect to hear something pretty soon from them. Yeah, it's fast for government to move, but it may not be fast <laughs> enough uh, on the uh, individual producer level uh, for their concerns right. and needs right now. All right, Ethan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. 
Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Up next, we look at the impact on the pork industry of packing plants closing. Stay with us on AOA. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We just talked with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about uh, the impact on the beef industry with packing plants closing. Now let's switch to the pork industry. We're joined by Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns & Associates. Steve, thank you for joining us. I I remember talking with you early on in this uh, COVID-19 situation, and you talked about what would happen if we started getting... uh, the you know workers getting sick and we'd have to close down packing plants well now we're starting to see it happen yeah um that was one of those um that's one of those what ifs i hope we never had to deal with but we're certainly have to deal with it and and it's gotten significantly worse in the last day or two um that's that's the real problem is we said back then mike that you know if it was one at a time it probably wouldn't hurt um, well, we ended up with two, and now we've got two for the entire week this week, and we have other plants that we're hearing of that have uh, large numbers of workers calling in either sick or afraid of being sick and slowing the flow of pigs down going to those plants. So now we've got – I think it's likely we're going to have multiple plants that will be closed for, you know, <clears throat> one to two weeks as they try to uh, get ahead of this for for their workers safety and uh, that's a real problem especially on the hog side of the plant well let's talk about that uh, kind of take us through the step i mean it's a ripple effect of what happens when a plant like that shuts down say the one in the in south dakota well i mean uh, for instance there, there's different scenarios, and the Columbus Junction one last week was, and I told our folks and our clients that this was about as good a situation as you could get. If Columbus Junction shut down and Tyson had four other plants within driving distance, that they would take a good portion of those pigs and take them to those other plants. And we think that they've captured 30,000 or so of the 50,000 that would be killed there last week, and, and, and they're going to do that again this week. Sioux Falls is a little different situation. For one, it's a bigger plant. Uh, it had a capacity of over 19,000 head a day, even though it hadn't been running at that. It had been slowing down some the weeks prior to uh, this week. And so, um, but and, and in this case, Smithfield does have plants that they could ship to. Crete, uh, they have a plant in Crete, a plant in Denison, Iowa, uh, a plant in Milo, Missouri, and a plant in Monmouth, Illinois. But we haven't heard of any transshipments on this, any shuffling of pig supplies yet. And one of the problems here is that that Sioux Falls plant has a disproportionate amount of processing. They actually process more product than they produce in that plant. And so um, I don't think shifting hogs to another plant would help much because they'd still have the processing bottleneck. So, um, you know, different, somewhat different situations, but, um, you know, 
uh, as we add to these, it's going to be more and more hogs that cannot be moved out of finishing barns. And so um, you start backing those up. Now, we got ahead of this deal uh, four weeks ago, the weeks of March 20th and 27th. We slaughtered about 400,000 head, uh, 400, head more than what the actual pig flow, I think, called for those weeks when we were trying to respond to these big orders from retailers. And um, so we kind of gave back 100000 or so of that last week, and we're going to get back that in change, you know, in spades this week, probably 200000 plus. Um, and so we're back to kind of current. Um, anything that happens from here on starts backing us up. And, um, and that means you've got a finishing barn that should be empty and ready for the next group of winged pigs, and there's still mm -hmm. pigs there, okay? And so you can't move those winged pigs in. Uh, you got to find something else to do with them. Now, there's, you can. Most finishing barns could handle triple stocking at the beginning. I mean, there's plenty of space in there for wind pigs, at the, you know, at the beginning of time, and so you could triple stock, double or triple stock some pigs. But um, you know, it's going to force some folks probably to destroy some hogs. Now, I think their first line will be to destroy the wing pigs coming in. You've got um, you know a 12-pound pig instead of a 250-pound animal to dispose of. Uh, I think that's the first reaction it's going to be. But uh, at some point, uh, we may have to start actually destroying some market hogs. Uh, I think that's a, a possibility here. The other one is producers are probably changing diets uh, on those hogs that they see they're going to have a problem with to try to just slow them down to keep them from getting too heavy. Um, you can do that by adding some fiber to the diet and pulling some protein out and some things like that that'll take their weight gain from two to three pounds down to maybe one to two pounds per day and, you know, at least make keep the hogs within the packers' grids. We're talking with Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. Steve, let's take a look at the at the hog market. Uh give us your thoughts on prices and where we're going here. Well, um, uh, given how right I've been so far this year, I don't know that you really want me to do that, Mike. Um, you know, and I, I'm not alone in that. Obviously, the the, the uh, Ron Plain, Dr. Ron Plain's rules of forecast, rule of forecasting is forecast often, and that's certainly the case you want to do now because every day brings some new piece of information that changes what you think is going to do. Um, obviously, if you just took a straight cash historical thing, you would have prices higher than where the futures are now. Um, uh, I can't I can't argue with where the futures are now at this point because they factored in they factored in a lot of negative things that seem to be happening, and um, so we think that these hogs are going to be well down into the the 40s and 50s for much of the year now. Um, we may not be able to hold that if we if we get several of these plants shut down. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to not be able to find hardly any cash spot market, negotiated market bids this week. Um, we may not get any price data published on that because uh, the number of hogs available on the spot market far outweighs the number of packing spots uh, that need those hogs. And uh, we've always feared a mismatch like this and where there just wasn't a negotiated market. I, I think that's probably going to happen this week. So it probably calls a need for a long-term change in the way we price hogs, going from producers to packers. Um, um, you know, can the open market get that done? Uh, it hasn't so far. Um, this market has held on to the hope of a negotiated market for several years. 
trying to get people to do it, and now that price wedge has gotten so large that you're not going to do that, I don't think. So um, we're going to see some pretty fundamental changes in the way this market works, and I, I, I'm not smart enough to tell you exactly how all of them are going to pan out at this point. Wow. So, yeah, we're talking about it. What you're saying is we need a change in the whole pricing marketing structure for hogs then? Well, I, I, I think we've seen that happening uh, gradually for some time. Uh, uh, you know, we've had seen a growth of the number of hogs that are priced off the cutout value, and to me that seems to be uh, a, a good way of doing this. It puts producers backers on the same side. The cutout value is still, uh, the wholesale level is still where most of value discovery happens. Right now, that value discovery process has been lower. Now, if you start reducing the amount of hogs that are slaughtered, we're liable to see the cutout value go up. And, in fact, it was up yesterday morning, $4, and then it kind of settled in yesterday afternoon and it ended up only $0.02. Cents. So I think we'll see the cutout value go up because we're going to start shorting the other side of this market some on product. Uh, there have been some folks make some dire predictions. Oh, we're not going to have pork in retail stores. Well, I don't think that's the case because we still got a lot of food service volume that could move over there if we can. And as time goes on, we'll get some of the packaging things lined out. Uh, but um, you know, I, I still think we're going to have plenty of pork available to people, even though there will be some places, especially if consumers get a little panicky about buying, uh, that they may see some empty shelves again and. Uh, it's not going to be forever, and uh, I don't think it'll take long to replenish those. But uh, when you start reducing uh, the the amount of your capacity that you're using, uh, it's going to be less pork on the market, even though you're backing up hogs on the farm. Yeah, we have a demand, we have the supply, but we still have a problem in between. You got a bottleneck in between in our case, and uh, and one that's not easy to solve. Um, at least until we kind of get this coronavirus on the backside. The, the further concerning factor, Mike, is that the states where we have all these plants, uh, or most of our plants, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, Missouri, there's five of them right there. Um, uh, everything, the University of Washington ep, uh, epidemic data uh, says that they won't peak out on their coronavirus until probably early May. And so we may see those situations get worse in those states, and that's that's kind of a chilling thought given where, where we've gone this week. So producers are going to be faced with some really tough decisions. Awfully tough decisions. Yes, I'm afraid that's the case. I, I hate to say that, but I'm afraid that is the case. I mean, this is a, another version of what we're seeing in the dairy industry when a milk producer, a dairy producer, has to dump milk, right? I mean, in this case, we're talking about you've got yeah, live exactly. animals here at Hogs. Exactly, exactly. I, I, every every pork producer would trade those dairy producers' positions, okay? Um, because, you know, in the poultry industry, you know, they can break eggs before they go into incubators, and in eight weeks they've got a reduction in the supply of finished birds. Um, we, don't, we don't have that kind of flexibility, and, and to solve that uh, is a far more serious situation for pork producers and for the people that work in their plants. I mean, our, you know, it's it's against every fiber of our being to do this, and it's, you know, it's one of the, it's a horrible decision, and and I'm afraid it's going to be made more and more by producers over the next few weeks. Well, Steve, thank you for the update. There's some tough situations for sure. We'll stay in touch. Thank you. 
Yes, Mike. Thank you. Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. Uh, Some things we did not want to hear, but uh, we needed to hear what what the situation is. Uh, It's a very tough one in the pork industry right now. All right. Up next, the uh, apple growers are seeking help from USDA as well. We'll talk about it next on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices. But they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we just heard some very sobering words from Steve Meyer, economist with Currents and Associates, about the situation that uh, the pork industry is in with these plant closures and the tough decisions uh, many producers are facing. Maybe no place to go with their hogs and uh, looking at probably a fundamental change in our hog pricing marketing system in this country and a lot of producers really dealing with tough situation and that's the case throughout agriculture as we see this shutdown of our economy and now uh, threats to our food supply chain Uh, so much happening here and so much need for assistance and as we've mentioned uh, almost every ag group seems to be uh, reaching out to USDA saying we need some help one of those is the U.S. Apple industry and joining us now is the president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association, Jim Baer. Jim, thanks for joining us. Uh, give us a kind of an overview of uh, the impact COVID-19 is having on your industry. Well, it's good to be with you, Mike. Uh, yeah, as you heard from the pork industry and also from former Secretary Vilsack, we're right there with them. Um, you know, with the exception of government purchasing apples for school lunch program, we tend to go it alone without government support. But, uh, you know, we've lost that school market. And I think we've lost Jim. Are you there, Jim? Okay, we'll try to reestablish with Jim. Uh, I think we, we had a connection go out on us, so we'll, we'll work on that. Jim Baer is president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. As he mentioned, you know, the, the closing down of schools, uh, our big concern is feeding those kids. Uh, the other concern is that's a loss of uh, a key market for a lot of industries, apple industry, the dairy industry, and a lot of others. So this, again, I talk about this a lot, the, the ripple effect uh, that COVID-19 is having uh, throughout our economy. And you have a consumer-based economy, and you uh, basically shut down a lot of different avenues of uh, of consumers being able to access goods. And then you have this problem. I think Jim's back with us. Jim, go ahead. You were talking about the loss of uh, uh, the school lunch programs, and that's a that's a key market for your industry. It is. And, uh, you know, with all the schools being out for the rest of the year, we've lost that market. And so we're calling on USDA to take that funding, which had already been appropriated by Congress for school lunch programs, and, and just buy the apples and donate them to food banks. We've got 17 million new unemployed people in the country and that's tragic that maybe we can make it a little easier for them by uh, providing some really high quality foods for them and, and uh, donate those apples to the food bank and uh, 
we're fully expecting that by this fall we're going to be dumping apples on the ground. You've seen it in dairy farms, uh, dumping milk, and seen it in vegetables and, and others, and we're fully expecting to have to do that. So we hate doing that, and we'd really prefer to see the fruit get donated to food banks and let somebody put them to, to some uh, some good use, uh, and then try to get some of our um, you know export markets back. We just reported that fruit and storage is is uh, up by 15% year over year, and last year was already a bad year. So uh, with our exports down and loss of some key domestic markets, uh, we're, we're really struggling. And so this is really kind of unprecedented for us to ask for the government to say, look, you've appropriated a lot of money for agriculture, and, and we could sure use some help right now. Well, let's talk about uh, what you said about the uh government purchasing apples and then donating them to food banks and, and feeding groups. I had a listener uh, call me yesterday, very concerned about, you know, we have people not able to get food during this crisis and we have this such surplus of production, whether it's milk or in your case, apples, you might have to uh, d- dump or destroy product. And that uh, that's hard for people to grasp how we could have these two things happening at the same time. And with a call from, from many in agriculture for direct payments or direct assistance, uh, in your case, you think uh, the best help would be for the government to step in, buy apples, and then be able to donate those to uh, different feeding groups then? Yeah, that would be the best mechanism. I mean, you know, we get a lot of requests, and people wonder the same question that you just posed. Well, why can't? People just come to the apple orchard and and, uh, and pick them themselves, but then you run into a liability question. You got people on ladders, and somebody falls off and breaks a leg, and then who's liable for that? And so, I think it just makes a lot more sense to have the government, uh, as they already were planning to do, to uh, donate those apples to school programs. Well, that mechanism is already in place, so let's just redirect it, uh, kind of pivot from schools and, and direct those apples to uh, to food banks so that the 17 million new unemployed can uh, can at least have those in their pantry and refrigerators. So uh, that's one thing that could be done with, without a lot of new cost. And as you've talked about in your program, Congress has, has uh, put aside some funding under the CARES Act, uh, $9.5 billion, it's supposed to be split between livestock, dairy, and specialty products like apples. Well, you know, everybody's hurting the livestock, cattle industry. They're certainly uh, hurting. We've known for a couple of years that dairy farms are, are really struggling, and now we're joining them. So, uh, yeah, everybody's fighting for their uh, little slice of the pie right now, and, and everybody needs the help, and it's unclear uh, how that's going to happen, but USDA expects perhaps even this week, to roll out their program for how they're going to, to uh, spread those uh, support funds around, and we're anxious to see. All right, Jim, uh, we'll be back in touch with you after we find out uh, their plan at USDA, and we'll get your reaction response to it at that time. All right, thanks for being with us. Stay safe. Thanks. Same to you, Mike. Take care. Jim Baer, President and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Uh, I mean, it's it's becoming very, very clear that uh, there's not enough money available at USDA to, to address all these needs completely. And you've got all these different sectors of agriculture needing help and asking for assistance. So whatever plan is rolled out, there are going to be some that feel that it's not fair, not equitable, uh, but certainly... 
there's need all over, and the sooner that they can get that assistance out, the better. However much it is, in whatever form it is, hopefully they'll make uh, good decisions and um, choices. I think that's a that's a good approach that we just heard Jim talk about. Purchase apples and be able to get them into feeding programs. We'll talk much more about this tomorrow. Stay safe. Join us tomorrow on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions.